We're in week two of this series uh, that's called The Upside Down Ways of God. We're looking at these moments where Jesus says some things that at first pass seem nonsensical. They seem backwards or, or just completely opposite of maybe the way we tend to view our world, see things and operate. And yet there's this potency, this powerful uh, truth uh, that's there for us in our lives when we kind of flip our world and, and we hear those words and we see them the way that God does. And we love people the way that God does in this beautiful thing. And so each week's about recapturing some of that. And today is really about this, this quote, this thing that Jesus says where he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, I wonder for many of you all, if you ever found yourself in a moment where you were living a life that you fully enjoyed, experiencing something that was really good, and then all of a sudden you lost the good of it, all of a sudden it changed on you. You know, for me, uh, one of the first jobs that I ever had uh, was setting scaffolding for a construction company, um, a stucco company. And so I, you know, helped set scaffold. My job, I worked with one other person, was to load a bunch of material, like tons of heavy, heavy material onto a truck and then load it up around a job. And so I was basically like a pack horse carrying things around in the summer heat uh, for $6.25 an hour is what I got paid for that. And so it wasn't my favorite job and it wasn't one I wanted to keep forever, which is why when I found myself having a conversation with this guy who owned a landscape company who offered me a job on the spot doing something completely different that paid $9 an hour, my eyes lit up, my heart leapt, and I was like, yes, like I'm all over this. I want to be a part of it. I want to do it. And so, and so I started working with this landscape company and all of a sudden life was good. Like as far as I experienced when I, like this job was a gift, I was getting paid significantly more. I liked the people that I was working with and I enjoyed it. It was, it was good and I experienced it that way. There was one particular day where we were going to a job and we didn't, somebody was sick or something and we didn't have enough people to, to do the thing that we needed to do. So we went and needed to hire a day laborer. And so my boss drove and picked up this, this guy who's gonna be working with us for a day, brand new coworker, and he's eager and excited to work uh, and shows up. And, and so we go and we land at this job and my boss hands us a pickaxe and a trenching shovel and he goes, okay, we're gonna dig a bunch of irrigation trenches and, and start this yard and so have at it. So we go and we start digging and I quickly notice that my newfound coworker is not necessarily great with a pickaxe. And so he's struggling and things are having a hard time. So I go, you know what, let me do it. I'll, I'll take that, you take the shovel to make our way forward. And so I just start beating and breaking up the dirt while he's shoveling it. I don't know if you've ever done that job before, swung a pickaxe for a couple of hours, but you get tired, like it's actually pretty hard work. And so it was about midday that I found myself looking at my coworker going, hey, why don't we trade? And why don't you swing the pickaxe and I'll use the shovel and maybe we can give each other a break. And he looks at me and he goes, no, I think you got it. Like you seem like you're doing pretty good. And then he just turned and walked away and disappeared around the side of the house. I'm standing there holding a pickaxe, like just staring. I'm like, where is he going? What are you doing? And he didn't come back. So I just kept working and I kept shoveling and I ended up trenching out and, and digging the irrigation ditches for this entire yard pretty much by myself. It was a little while later that all of a sudden the owner of the house comes out and is super frustrated and yelling at my boss because of something that my coworker had done. See, apparently throughout the day, at some point in time, he developed a heat rash that extended all the way from the tops of his thighs to his groin. And it was having not a great time. And so he decided what he was going to do is sneak over to the side of the house where he was going to lower his pants and fan himself so that he could get some relief. And unbeknownst to him, the spot that he chose to do this at was directly outside of the homeowner's kitchen window. 
And so she did not pay for nor was expecting that particular view that she uh, got that day. And in fact, got pretty irate and stepped out and started yelling at my boss. So there I am holding, you know, a shovel, basically watching this experience happen, which was both fascinating and, and crazy and entertaining all at the same time. I'll never forget it. We finish out the day and, and this gentleman for the rest of the day is basically sitting in the shade, kind of off to the side, not having a great time. We finish out the day, we get in the truck and we go to leave. And at this point, I, I had a good time. Like the day was okay, I worked and did what I needed to do. And then something happened. My boss goes and he goes to cut us a check. It's payday. And so he goes to pay us and he pays the day laborer for a full day's work. He pays them like exactly the same amount that I was gonna get paid for that day. And I watched that happen. And immediately my face cringes and I'm like, wait, what? The guy gets out of the car and leaves and I turn to my boss and I said, I, man, that's kind of frustrating, you know, that you actually paid him for the full day. I ended up being the person to trench out that whole yard. I was the person that dug most of that and the irrigation thing or the irrigation trenches and laid all of that. And to boot, I, I left my pants on the entire day. Like I was good. I don't get it. Like what, what's going on here? And my boss looked at me and just said, you know, sorry. Yeah, I, I can see that that would be frustrating for you. And he said, but the truth is, man, he had a really hard day and he, he really needs the cash. And so, you know, that's that. And that was the end of that conversation. Something really fascinating happened from that point forward. See, I started to show back up to my job and suddenly I found myself resenting my boss. I felt underappreciated and I felt undervalued in some ways. And I started to get really frustrated with all of that. And what's interesting to me, what's so fascinating about that, if you think about it, it's the same job that before this moment ever happened, I thought was really good. It's the same job that before any of this occurred, I was like ecstatic and celebrating because I was getting paid more, working with people I like, right? All the stuff that I told you about before. And yet for me, all of a sudden, it's like all of that shrunk and I found myself resenting my boss, not liking my job the same. And it's like the good that I'd been experiencing was lost. Have you ever experienced that? If you're at a moment, like I said, where the good thing that you're experiencing, it's like suddenly it's just not there for you to experience. You're not experiencing it the same way. It's like you've, you've lost it. See, it's amazing to me, friends, how we can go in one moment from feeling so grateful and, and, and feeling and experiencing the good of something to having that flip upside down in one moment to completely losing sight of the good thing that God's put in front of us in the next. It, it leads me to recognize it is actually possible for us to rob ourselves of the good that God gives us despite the fact that we have actually lost nothing, that it's all still there. Have you been there? You know what that's like. Do you realize right now, friends, that there is a good in your life that meets you right here, right now, even still it's there? Do you realize that right here and right now you are actually dearly loved by the God of the universe? by the being, most powerful being in the universe who created you and knows you and that he looks upon you with grace, which is to say that he favors you? Do you know that he wants to love you forward? Do you know that he wants to anchor you in the midst of this storm and be your sense of comfort? And that he is the joy that pulls us forward even when times are hard, even when uncertainty is there, and that he promises to never leave us nor forsake us? Here and now, there's a good that God is giving you, that God has blessed you with, that is there and available for you right here and right now. And I say that because I'm curious, do you see it? And don't sit in your house right now and go, yes, I checked the box. Like, I know what the right answer to this question is. 
Check. Yeah, I see it. No, it's not what I'm getting at. Like, be honest for two seconds. Not, not just like, are you aware? Are you experiencing it in your life right now? Are you actually experiencing the good of what God has given you, of what God has blessed you with? You see, I ask you that because I don't want us to miss it here this morning. It's easy to do. I don't want you. I don't want me. I don't want us to miss any of that. We need that good right now. We do. In times of uncertainty, in times of stress, in times of unrest amidst the nation, in times where we don't know what to do, when there's complex emotions and feelings and thoughts and all kinds of stuff, it is that very good that anchors us in the midst of our lives. It's that very good that allows us to pop our heads off the pillow in the morning and actually greet the new day and overcome the adversity that sometimes is before us. It's that new good that pulls us forward in the moments where we're not sure where to go. It is a precious gift and it's there and I don't want us to miss it. And if you are missing it, or if you've lost what it means to experience it, I don't want that for you either. There's something precious that's still there. My hope is that we can see some of that here this morning. You know, I don't think Christ wants us to miss it either. That's so much of why in John, or not John, Matthew chapter 20, uh, he actually says this phrase, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Couched within this, in this whole context of a parable that we're going to get to unpack here this morning, is this idea that there is a goodness from God that's so easy for us to miss and he doesn't want us to miss it. So let's explore that this morning in hopes that we find ourselves celebrating or at least resonating or moving back towards the experience of that which is good. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 20. If you're following or like reading along in a phone, great. If it's on the screen, you do you. But as you go there, uh, Matthew chapter 20, essentially what we need to know about Matthew 20 is that it's a continued conversation for Matthew 19, right? Just because your Bible has chapters doesn't mean each one is like some new unfolding experience. In fact, this is all part of one larger conversation. Jesus uh, was, was uh, out with his disciples and a man who uh, had approached Jesus with a question. This man was a righteous man, a man of integrity, a man who was very wealthy because of decisions and hard work and things that he had done. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at the man and basically says, you know, leave all the things that you have built for yourself and instead come and embrace me. Come and follow me. Come with me. And the man can't do it. And he walks away disappointment, disappointed. And Jesus says, you know, essentially how hard it is for somebody who's built up so much for themselves to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says at the very end of chapter 19, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In chapter 20, the passage that we're in today is the very next sentence that comes after his statement there where he's gonna tell a parable that makes sense of it all and starts to highlight what that really means. And so I wanna read this with you today. We're gonna start at verse one. And so Matthew chapter 20, verse one, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labors for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go out into the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired, to, hired us. So he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So a man who owns a vineyard was looking for day laborers, right? A man who owns this, he's the landowner. He goes out to the marketplace to look for day laborers. In the very first century during this era, during this time, if you were a day laborer, the workday started at sunrise. 
and you went to the public square and you lined up there where merchants and people could come through, anybody who needed work, and you were hoping you'd get hired. Like this is that same thing that we remember from like, you know, the whole kickball illustration. Bunch of, pe bunch of people lined up against the backstop hoping that they'll be chosen for the day because they had mouths to feed and they needed shelter for themselves and they needed money to survive. There were needs that needed to get met. So imagine a bunch of people crowded in a square all hoping that somebody hires them for the day. And this rich landowner, right, this guy who's got all this property, he goes and he says, cool, I, I, I need some help. Beginning of the day, and he hires a group of people and he agrees to pay them one denarius, which just simply means a day's wage, right? Like a fair, decent day's wage. One denarius each uh, for working a full day. And he says, go to the vineyard. And they go. But then the guy shows back up, right? The landowner goes back a few hours later. And now he goes and hires a new group of people. Uh, and he looks at them and something's changed though. This time, instead of saying he's going to hire them for one denarius, the agreement he makes with them is he simply says, uh, and I'll pay you, right? I'll give to you whatever is right. And they agree to that. And they go. He does this over the course of the day, five total times he keeps coming back. The very last time that he comes back, it says it's at the 11th hour. This means that there wasn't much daylight left. That for anybody to get hired and sent back to the vineyard at this point in time, they're only going to work like an hour or two. But they get hired and they go and they, they begin to work. And, and so what Christ is doing here, there's a key question that he asks, right, for that 11th hour. Because remember, when the landowner shows back up at that last point in time, what does he say? He says, looks at them, there's only a few hours left in the day, he goes, why are you here? Why are you still idle? He asks this question because he, he doesn't want us to miss something. And it's because he knows us as humans. Christ includes this little question because he knows that what we're going to be tempted to do with the following story is discredit the workers. What we're going to end up trying to do is go, you know what, all this happened because these workers were lazy or they weren't as good or something about the character of the workers. And so Christ asks this question, why were you idle all day so that we can hear their response? You see, when they say we were idle because no one has hired us, they're not there because they're lazy and because they're idle. They're there because no one had given them the opportunity yet to work. They're still waiting for that opportunity. They still have need. They still have desire. And this landowner shows up at the very end of the day and recognizes that these aren't the lazy people. These are the people who've been so persistent that they've actually waited out to the very end of the day as if to say, even now, if anybody needs help, I'll take whatever I can get. And he sees them in their need and he says, absolutely. And he sends them to the vineyard. The point Jesus is making in that question that we need to like frame our heads and our hearts in before we keep reading here is that this isn't a story about the character of the workers. It's a story designed to illustrate the heart of the landowner. The fact that he wanted to meet their needs and show them a profound kind of grace. And he hires them and says, absolutely, come to the vineyard. So let's keep going. Chapter 20, verse eight, it says, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And now when those hired first came, they thought they'd receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So the day is over. The master gathers the foreman and says, all right, it's time to pay everybody up. And he begins by paying the people who came last first. And as they get paid, all of the people who'd worked all day, watch the people who get paid last and they get paid a full denarius, right? That full day's wage. And this doesn't bother anybody initially because they all start to get excited. They're like, oh my gosh, 
if the people who only worked like an hour or two are going to get a full day's wage, can you imagine what we're going to get? We're going to get so much more than that. And they get excited about it because they think they ought to receive more than this. This is what I think verse eight tells us. But they don't. This doesn't happen. And all of a sudden they get really, really frustrated. And and we got to be really clear when we look at what, what happens here. When we look at verse 10, there's an indicator of why this experience starts to get so frustrating. And it's in the phrase, they thought they would receive more. You see, what they received was actually what was promised to them. They, everybody received a full denarius. They received the, what was promised. They received the good thing, but because they thought they ought to receive more when the thing that they had done didn't deliver on what they thought they ought to receive, it becomes what? Frustrating. Friends, when you find yourself in a place where you think you ought to receive more than what's actually been promised to you, it ends up resulting in us feeling exactly like the workers. What's it tell us? They grumbled at the master. Suddenly this isn't a good job anymore. Suddenly this isn't a great opportunity. Suddenly this isn't a chance to put food on the table, shelter over us and receive a paycheck for a hard day's work. Suddenly this is resentment. This is disappointment and this is frustration. Have you ever had that happen? Let me think about this. Have you ever had it happen where you like your job? Maybe you really like your job and so you work hard at it. Maybe you put in more time and effort or hours than than people around you and then that moment comes up for promotion or for a task or some project you really wanted to lead or be a part of or be trusted with. And it gets passed, you get passed over. It doesn't go to you. And in fact, it ends up going to somebody else and you feel hurt and you feel disappointed. And then what happens? The next day you show up to your job or the following week or however this begins to play out. And suddenly you find yourself showing up to the same place to work with the same people to do the same thing, but you're angry, you're resentful and you start talking about how you don't like your job anymore how you're frustrated by it and how you feel overlooked and how you feel undervalued. And what's really fascinating, think about that. The job didn't change. The good thing you were experiencing before didn't change. But because it didn't deliver what you thought it ought to and it only delivered what was promised to you, you end up getting really frustrated. We end up getting hurt by this. We don't experience it as good anymore. We lose the good. Or what about this? You love your home and you love your family, right? Like they're amazing people and they bring you joy and all this stuff, but maybe you start working so hard or doing so many things that, you know, you're picking up around the house, you're fixing things, you're helping people, you're doing all of this stuff, making sure it all runs. And the reality is, is you have this sense, this feeling about you that nobody appreciates you, that nobody compliments and everybody takes it for granted and you find yourself wishing you could ship them off to like a harder life for a little bit so that then they'll come back and appreciate you. Then they'll come back and realize how much you do because you're frustrated and you feel resentment growing inside of you. I mean, think about it. The people didn't change. Your family is still your family. Like they're still the exact same people who lived in your house before, who you've shared life with and taken great joy and experienced the good of before. They didn't change. But because what you believed ought to happen was greater than what was promised to you in that moment, begins to build a sense of resentment, right? And you don't experience it as good anymore. Friends, if you find yourself experiencing a sense of disappointment or a sense of resentment with regard to something that you've previously experienced as good and bringing you a sense of satisfaction and good, like that goodness, if you find yourself now experiencing, like I said, disappointment or resentment in that, it might not be because that thing has changed. 
it might be because that you think it ought to deliver more than what in fact it's promised or capable of. And that becomes hard. We start to get frustrated and bittered. Look at what this takes the workers in verse 12. I want to read this to you. These last worked only one hour and you have made them. This is what the workers are saying. These last people worked only one hour and they're complaining to the landowner and they say, and you have made them, here's the key word, equal to us, to those of us who've borne the burden of the day. Their expressed frustration at this moment isn't just about how much they got paid or didn't get paid. Now, all of a sudden, it's been about they're made equal, they feel devalued. This is about human value that suddenly stepped in here as though they suddenly feel like they have been seen as less than. Do you see how this grows? But here's something fascinating that we should just pause on for two seconds. Isn't it interesting? I mean, really, that because of what was done for someone else, that the workers themselves now feel devalued because of that good thing that somebody else received, they suddenly now feel less than. I want to keep going. Matthew chapter 20, verse 13, it says this. Suddenly shifts, the perspective goes to the landowner and he says, but he replied to one of them, friend. That's how he, how he addresses them. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. I'm not allowed to, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. I love that in verse 13, the perspective here shifts from the view of the workers to the perspective of the landowner here. As he expresses, no, this is the way I see this world. This is what my heart sees. Because if you remember the landowner in this parable is representative of God. There's something about how he's viewing this and how he's seeing it that we're in, in, as readers, as listeners are trying to capture so that we can see our world this way. I love that it shifts here. He begins, think of this, by letting them know that he is not their enemy, but that he's actually their friend. I think that's an extraordinary kindness. And I love that he starts that way, friend. I want you to know how I see you. I want you to know who, I, who you are. I want you to know how I'm talking to you. And then he assures them that his desire was not to, in fact, do them any wrong. He then reminds them that they got exactly what he had promised them, that he gave them what he had promised them and what they also had agreed to, recenters them back on that perspective. And lastly, he tells them that his desire to bless others, right, to bless those other workers, wasn't about devaluing this worker or that worker, but was ultimately about showing grace to the workers that he had, meeting them in their place of need and expressing his heart to them. This is what mattered most to him, his generosity, right? Friends, this isn't just a parable designed to be read and understood by an audience from 2,000 years ago. It is a potent reminder for each and every one of us who sit here today that the good that God gives us can be missed and that it missed and that it's easy to miss. This is the main point, friends. It's easy to miss the good that God gives each of us. When we become focused on what we don't have and we begin drawing our value by comparing ourselves to others. In seeking to have more, we end up experiencing less good because we're dissatisfied and frustrated and that's all we see. In seeking to be valued above others, we end up missing the blessing and the value that we already have and we find ourselves stuck in a place of insecurity, wishing we were more than we are. So 
This happens and it's easy to miss, friends. So if you remember at the very beginning of this, I began today by saying, look, I don't want us to miss the good because it's there. And it's not just a generalize because that's a good life and that's what we should have. We need this right now. Wherever you are in your life, you need this. There's a good that's a gift for you even so I don't want us to miss it. And so again, if you're a person who finds yourself saying, I'm not experiencing that right now, or I don't even know how to find my way back to that, or I don't know how to open my eyes to even see it or experience it, I want to spend the rest of our time here that we have uh, by pointing at two steps that we can take to move us back towards that experience of good in hopes that we might experience what's been there all along. Here's the first one. First step is this, choose a different focus. Choose a different focus, right? The, The landowner shifts their focus, the worker's focus away from their felt sense of what they ought to have to remind them that they've been given exactly what was promised. He shifts their focus away from comparing themselves to the other workers to simply reminding them of what is theirs and of how he sees them. This is a really big deal. Do you know that modern research has shown that the idea of multitasking is really a fallacy. It's a myth. Like it doesn't, it's not a thing. Your brain is only capable of paying attention to one thing at any point in time, which is why when somebody is multitasking, quote unquote, the way that we think about it, what's really happening is they're paying attention to one moment and then quickly drawing their attention to a completely different one and going back and forth, trying to hold all of that in their short-term memory bank. It is impossible for your brain to pay attention to two simultaneous things at the same time. We're just, we don't work that way. We're created to work that way. This is the very thing that magicians and pickpockets have understood from the very beginning and leveraged uh, for, for, you know, great reward for themselves. Because if a magician can get you focused on their hands and focused on the showmanship of what's happening, you'll miss the sleight of hand that happens over here, or you'll miss the moment where the trick actually unfolds. If a pickpocket can bump you in a crowd hard in the shoulder to where you're drawing attention to how your shoulder feels, You won't feel your wallet being slowly removed from your back pocket or your jewelry being removed from your wrist. What you are only able to pay your attention to one thing at a time. And if that's true, as research has shown that it is, then think about this, friends. What you give your attention to really matters. Your attention, your focus is a limited resource that's capable of drawing in information from one thing at a time. So what you give your attention to, what you focus on really, really matters. In your life, right here and right now, what are you focused on? You think about it for just a moment. What is it you give your attention to? Is it what's not happening? Is it what isn't good? Right? Because another way of looking at that sentence of what you give your attention to is all you'll see is also to say that whatever you choose to focus on, whatever you give your attention to will also determine everything else you don't see. What are you focused on? Are you finding yourself that you're focused constantly on the good things or the bad things, what is happening or what isn't happening in the lives of others and what that might mean about you? Is that how you're, where your focus is? Do you find yourself trapped in that trap of comparison? Wondering what that then means about about you, like these workers began to do. Friends, I want to say something really, really clearly here. Uh, And I want you to hear it. And so I'll state it, like I said, really clearly, but it's this. What God does or doesn't do in the life of another person has absolutely nothing to do with your value. And I want to to say it again because I don't want you to miss this. What God does 
or doesn't do in the life of another person has absolutely nothing to do with your value. God isn't demonstrating or determining your value by somebody else's social media profile. God isn't demonstrating or determining your value by by what is happening in the life of another parent, another spouse, another person out there. God isn't demonstrating or determining your value by, by the good that somebody else is receiving or not receiving. Your value is firm and secure and already been stated and landed in the life and death of Jesus Christ. That's what you are worth to the God of the universe. It's not up for grabs. It's not up for question. It's not even being determined. It's just is that's already been answered and his name is christ friends you don't have to find your value and find your focus elsewhere but if that's where your focus is what are you missing if that's where your attention is what are you missing about the good that's there for you to experience right here and right now friends the good news is you get to choose what you give your attention to you get to choose where you place your focus So let me ask you, what would happen if you simply chose to put your focus in a direction that served you better? Would you see the good? Would you find yourself recapturing that which hasn't been lost, but's there all along? That brings me to the second thing as we begin to close out here this morning, and it's this. Ask a different question, right? That's step two. Ask a different question. We we rob ourselves of the good, in our lives, when we find ourselves, when we give our time and attention, we spend our time asking the wrong question, right? Like the workers, why didn't I get more? Why didn't I get that one thing? Why do I have to do all of the work? Why are they seen as better than me? Ask a different question. Jesus comes in and essentially says, did I not give what was promised to you and what you agreed upon, friend? As if to say, you're asking the wrong question. Recenter back in on something else. Friends, the question you choose to ask will determine the answer you get to live. If you choose to, if your question is, why didn't I get more? Then you're ultimately going to live a life of one who never has enough. If your question is, why did they get more? You're ultimately going to live a life of one who resents others and never fully enjoys the blessing that God has provided and given to you. The good news is, is that the question you ask isn't predetermined. It's not written into your script somewhere. You get to choose what question you ask. So if the one you've been asking isn't working for you, if the one you've been asking isn't resulting in you experiencing the goodness of God actually moving in your life, the blessing that's come to you, maybe it's time to ask a different question. What would happen if each day when you wake up, you began asking yourself this? What has God given me? Cut off the rest of the world. Cut off all of the things that are happening in other people's lives. Center it all down between you and God and ask this question. What has God given me? And how can I experience and enjoy it today? What would that change about your day? What would that change about your tomorrow? What would that change in your family, in your job? What would that change in your being and your ability to experience the goodness of what God's actually done in your life that's still there, friends. Be powerful. May you find the good that never left. May you experience the blessing of God that is always there because he loves you and because he cares for you. And may you find your value not in the life of another, but in the one who gave his life for you, who made you, created you, favors you, and wants to love you forward even still. Friends, 
The good hasn't left. It's still there for you to experience. There's hope on the horizon. Will you let it pull you forward? Let's pray. God, we come before you and thank you so much that you are good and that you lavish us with good. Lord, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes we experience things that aren't good and we can get sucked into that or we experience things that are tough and we get lost in them. And yet, Lord, remind us, center us back in today on, on that which you have given us that it might pull us forward and help us to navigate difficult times. Give us courage, Lord, this week. Give us kindness this week and fill us with a sense of your love for us that we might pour it out on those around us who need it. Help us to be the church that we are. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you soon.